Welcome to The Church Door, a place where I can post my Bible studies and sermons for your listening pleasure. I'm the Reverend Matthew Fenn, pastor of St. Peter's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Stratford, Ontario. Thanks for tuning us in. The reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. David came to Nob, the priest, to the priest Ahimelech. Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? David said to the priest Ahimelech, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, No one must know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what have you at hand? Give me five loaves of bread, or whatever is here. The priest answered David, I have no ordinary bread at hand, only holy bread, provided that the young men have kept themselves from women. David answered the priest, Indeed, women have been kept from us, as always, when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even it is even when it is a common journey, how much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there except the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's shepherds. David said to Ahimelech, Is there no spear or sword here with you? I did not bring my sword or my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. The priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none here except that one. David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. David rose and fled that day from Saul. He went to King Achish of Gash, of Gath. He, the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has killed his, ten, his thousands and David his ten thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of King Achish of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them. He pretended to be mad when in their presence. He scratched marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Achish said to his servants, Look, you see that man is mad. Why, have you, why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David left there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and all his family, father's house heard of it, they went down there to him. Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him, and he became captain over them. Those who were with him numbered about 400. David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. He said to the king of Moab, Please, let my father and mother come to you until I know what God will do for me. 
He left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold, leave, and go into the land of Judah. So David left and went into the forest of Hereth. Saul heard that David and those who were with him had been located. Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height, with his spear in his hand and all his servants were standing around him. Saul said to his servants who stood around him, Hear now, you Benjaminites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Is that why all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me where, when my son makes a league with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as he is doing today. Doeg the Edomite, who was in charge of Saul's servants, answered, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. He inquired, and the Lord for him gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. The king sent for the priest Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, and for all his father's house, the priests who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. Saul said, Listen now, son of Ahitub. He answered, Here I am, my lord. Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me? You and the son of Jesse, by giving him bread and sword, and by inquiring of God for him, so that he has risen against me, to lie in wait, as he is doing today. Then Ahimelech answered the king, Who among all your servants is so faithful as David? He is the king's son-in-law, and is quick to do your bidding, and is honored in your house. Is today the first time that I have inquired of God for him? By no means. Do not let the king impute anything to his servant or to any member of my father's house, for your servant has known nothing of all this, much or little. The king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. The king said to the guard who stood around him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand is also with David. They knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not raise their hand to attack the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Doeg, You, Doeg, turn and attack the priests. Doeg the Edomite turned and attacked the priests. On that day, he killed 85 who wore the linen ephod. Nob, the city of the priests, was put to the sword, men and women, children and infants, oxen, donkey, and sheep. He put to the sword. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I am responsible for the lives of all your father's house. Stay with me and do not be afraid, for the one who seeks my life seeks your life, and you will be safe with me. Okay, welcome everybody to our study. Uh, you will remember we began, some of you will remember we began this last year um, at our men's breakfast and ladies Bible study, but due to the pandemic, things have changed. So I wanted to pick this back up now that it's the fall 
again, and this is the appropriate venue to do so. So uh, if, if you are tuning into the recording uh, and or are new and you didn't uh, pick up our first half of our study last year, that's okay. I'm going to start out with a recap of the story thus far. And you can always pick up your Bible and read the story thus far. It's not that far from each of us. So we'll begin with prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you have caused all your holy scriptures to be written for our learning. May we so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by the patience and comfort offered by your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of eternal life, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, so we've come to 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22. Um, 1st Samuel, 1st uh, and 2nd Samuel, Joshua judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings were all written um, at one time. They were written from uh, court documents that were around, and they were written uh, by the people who experienced the exile into Babylon. So about 586 BC, somewhere after that, not too much after. Um, they read as one continuously long story. And the point of the story is to describe to the people in exile their history, to preserve uh, the record of God's faithfulness to them, his promises to them, um, and also to show them how they got themselves into that, uh, that situation. Um, David features prominently in this. So that's a little bit of why the book was written. Uh, that is that's an important data to keep in the back of your head when you're trying to apply this to today. Um, so where are we in the story? So Israel, um, for a long time, was after Joshua, was ruled by judges, military leaders who popped up and ruled for a little while and they died. And then Israelites went back into worshiping Baal or whatnot. And then they... Um, cried out to the Lord when the Philistines or some other group of heathens came up and oppressed them. And then God would raise up a judge. So this was the pattern for a while. Finally, Israel demands a king, not just a king. They want a king like the nations around them. Um, they want uh, the political security that a king is going to give them. Um, and as you know, uh, Samuel at first doesn't want to do it. God tells him, yeah, they haven't rejected you, they rejected me, but still give listen to their voice. So he gives them a king. Uh, as we know, Saul is chosen as king, and he's anointed uh, uh, by Samuel to be king, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, though, you'll, um, if you, you'll notice that Saul was told to do stuff. Uh, you'll remember Saul was told to Specifically, he had some tasks given, and he failed to do that. Um, and in fact, uh, when the time came for him to become king, he had chickened out and was hiding behind the mules, uh, the baggage. But he does have some military victories, and he is confirmed king. Um, then Saul takes a fateful turn when he's preparing for battle. It looks like his forces are going to start deserting. Samuel has explicitly told him to wait until Samuel got there uh, so that he could offer the sacrifice. Uh, 
Saul gets impatient and thinks, I need the Lord's blessing. I'm going to offer the sacrifice on my own. And no sooner does he do it than Samuel's head pops up over the hill and he shows up and he um, gets uh, what uh, he gets punished from the Lord. And at that stage, what's rejected, what God rejects is that, um, is, is that he would establish a dynasty. Uh, his sons would rule after him. This rebellious spirit with Saul continues um, when uh, he, through the prophet Samuel, he's told to wipe out uh, the Amalekites and he refuses to he explicitly and deliberately refuses to do exactly what God tells him. Um, this results in Saul's, the rejection of Saul as king by God. Um, in the following chapter, David is anointed as king. Um, Saul, meanwhile, has, um, God has allowed an evil spirit to torment Saul. Um, and so some people in Saul's court, they know of David, that he's a good musician and that he's a up and coming young boy. And they recommend him to become the court musician. So David gets brought into the court uh, and he becomes the court musician. And eventually, uh, shortly thereafter, Saul's armor bearer, who helps him get dressed for battle, these kinds of things. You remember the next chapter is the famous story of David defeating Goliath. Following that, David is propelled and rocketed into fame. He becomes a, he's, the next day he's trending on Twitter and he's all the rage. Everybody wants to talk about him. And he uh, immediately becomes best friend with Jonathan, who is Saul's son and heir uh, to the throne. They become best friends and they even make a covenant with each other. Um, David grows in popularity. He's appointed as a commander of some rank in the army. And he, as he goes out, he has nothing but military um, successes. He has nothing but um, uh, victories. God blesses his efforts as he goes out and he fights. Um, and Saul gets jealous. You remember the, the song that the ladies sing? Well, Saul's killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And Saul is absolutely jealous. Um, so Saul, um, Saul attempts a couple secretive uh, ways to try to get David killed. Uh, and they all backfire on him, completely work the absolute opposite direction. David gets more popular and eventually he married uh, one of these tricks, uh, the carrot dangled for David is uh, the princess Michael and Saul's daughter. Uh, well, David uh, jumps through the hoop and marries the princess. Um, now this gives David a claim to the throne because he's now married to the princess of the king. Um, so it completely backfires in, in Saul's face. Um, Jonathan then speaks to his father on behalf of David. David gets to return to court for a little while. But David's military success once again provokes Saul. And while David is playing the harp, or while Saul's playing, yeah, David's playing the harp one day, Saul out and out tries to murder him by throwing a spear to try to pin him to the wall. Uh, at that point, David 
goes home to his uh, wife, Michael. Michael, he obviously tells her what happened and, and Michael tells him, there's only a step between you and death. You gotta flee, you gotta get out tonight. I know my dad, run, run for the hills, get out of here. And you remember the story, the guards come into the bed, it's like Lord of the Rings. They come up with their swords and they hit, hit the bed and David's not there, it's an idol with a goat's hair on and David has snuck out the window and uh, Michael lies through her teeth to her father saying, oh, David put me up to it and he said he was going to kill me and this kind of thing. Um, so from there, David goes to Samuel. Saul tries to send armies after them, but they keep prophesying every time they go near uh, and uh, they, they're not able to do it. So he go, they're not, they, they leave him with Samuel for a while. From there, David goes to Jonathan and asks Jonathan, what have I done to do this? And Jonathan doesn't believe that his dad uh, is really out to kill him. Maybe he just thinks it's a, uh, one of his dad's moods. So he goes, um, he goes and says to Saul that David has asked for leave uh, to go to a special uh, feast uh, in Bethlehem with his family. And uh, Saul flies into a murderous rage um, and, and insults his own son and um, um, calls him a, a stupid son of a you-know-what. And he just he goes off the rails. Um, and so then David, from there, has to go into hiding. That's where our text picks up. In fact, the last sentence of chapter 20 in Hebrew is actually listed as the first sentence of 21. Uh, he got up and left and Jonathan went into the city. So this takes place immediately after that event. David, uh, David, uh, about this time, he's about 20, 25. He's young. He's still pretty young. David is, is, is likely in his mid twenties. So he goes, um, now, you can, if you want to, you can get on a Bible atlas and you can pinpoint these different places, Nob and Achish and uh, uh, Adullam. And, and what you'll see is David, as the story goes on, David, the, the capital right now is not Jerusalem. Jerusalem is controlled by the Jebusites. David, the king, captures it later. The capital is in Gibeah. Um, and if you were to look at this on a map, as the story goes on, David gets farther and farther away from the capital. Um, um, Nob is he goes so Dave, what does David do he goes to Nob you remember when the first Samuel starts out with, with Samuel and the, the, go, the coat and Eli and all that stuff it's a place called Shiloh well Shiloh was destroyed and now it looks like the tabernacle that tent that Moses made right with the holy and the holy of holies that where the sacrifices went that's at a place called Nob now um, what the Ark of the Covenant's not there. The Ark of the Covenant is sitting at some guy's house, um, just blessing the socks off of that guy because nobody could figure out how to move it without somebody dying. So they just left it there. <laughs> um, um, no, seriously, it, it, when 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 David uh, when when David tries to move it, Uzzah dies, and it takes him like three or four months to find a copy of Leviticus to figure out how to move the thing. Um, cause you know, you can't just go to your local Christian bookstore and grab a copy of the old Testament. Um, okay. 
So he showed David shows up here, and the high priest Ahimelech, um, who's a son of he's a descendant of Eli, by the way, um, he suspects that David might be a fugitive because um, a prominent military leader is not going to be leaving without a retinue, without um, uh, his supplies, without his guides, and he's by himself. Um, so that's why uh, Ahimelech is scared. Um, fear of Saul. Is a, is a common theme. Um, remember when Samuel went to Bethlehem um, after Samuel fell out with Saul, the people, the leaders of the city came out and I was like, are, do, do you come in peace? Like, so the fear of Saul is a, Saul's retribution is, is real. And you can see why later on in this chapter. So Ahimelech is scared. Uh, he probably knows uh, by now something of the, the, the strained relations between David and Saul, and he maybe doesn't want to get involved. Uh, uh, he probably knows that helping David can be risky business. Um, David, uh, who by now has become used to deceiving people, uh, flat out lies and tells him that he's been sent on a secret mission by the king and that uh, he now needs food. Um, um, David might not know exactly which, what Ahimelech's political leanings are. And so he doesn't trust, they both don't trust each other. Um, um, what's interesting is that David might be trying to squeak out of a outright lie by saying, the king has charged me with a matter. Um, the king some have suggested maybe David tries to think the king, i.e. I. God, the Lord, um, has sent me on a matter. He doesn't say Saul, um, uh, so he could be trying to avoid an outright lie, but he doesn't name Saul. Um, and so the priest tells him, he doesn't, I don't have any bread. All I have is the, the bread of the presence, the, the holy bread that goes into the holy place and once every Sabbath, it's taken out and it's given to the priests and their families to eat. That's all I got, he says. Um, and he says that David can eat it and his men, he can bring some to his men if they have kept themselves ritually clean by not having sex. Um, David responds by saying um, that it's always his practice um, to have for his soldiers to not have sex while they're on duty. No sex on duty. Now that's going to come back to haunt him later. But David's pretty consistent as a military commander in that rule. Nothing in the Bible that says that. It just seems to be an ancient practice that they've kept up. You even hear it sometimes today with sports people. Um, um, so those, um, one of our questions looks at the Old Testament background for, for, for that uh, showbread. We'll look at that later. Um, um, so we're told later on in chapter 22 that when David visited, he also asked Ahimelech to consult the Lord for him. So he's, he's, at, he's there um, consulting the Lord by means of something called the ephod. The ephod is um, like a holy garment that the priest wears. Um, so obviously they think it has some sort of magical power or that you wear it and God will talk to you or something. We're not given the details. Uh, we just know that one of the things used to inquire of the Lord is this special garment called the ephod. Um, does David 
have men? That's a question. Does he have men? Um, the text so far would lead me, if you're reading the story, it doesn't sound like it. It doesn't sound like he does. He he's come immediately from Jonathan, unless the text is not telling us he has men. Um, then he's probably just lying straight up through his teeth. To complicate matters, Jesus, when he cites this passage, says David and those with him. In Matthew chapter twelve, verse four. Um, so does he have people with him? I, I'm not sure. Uh, that, that's complicated. I have to dig into that more. None of the commentaries seem to, they're all over the place on that. That's an open question. I think if there are people with him, it's likely his brothers because they come, they're the first people he gets later. And his brothers are military people, you remember. So um, had David been honest with Ahimelech? then Ahimelech could have chosen for himself whether or not he wanted to become involved with David's plans. Uh, what we see here is that there's a guy named Doeg the Edomite. Edomites, uh, you remember, are, are Israelites' enemies. So this guy's probably a mercenary um, because he has sheep. He's pretty wealthy. Um, and it's only after David sees Doeg, whom he, he tells you later he recognized, um, it's only after he sees him that he asks for a weapon. Uh, the weapon he gets is Goliath's sword. Uh, the sword was given to the sanctuary as a remembrance of the great victory the Lord had won. So from there, David goes off with, uh, to, to Gath. Um, Gath is a Philistine city. It's one of their five capitals. Uh, it's Goliath's hometown. That's intruding on a question later, but we'll come back to that. Um, he tries to go incognito, maybe as a uh, Hebrew fugitive, or he, maybe he could be attempting to serve as a mercenary, sell himself out uh, as a mercenary. He does that. He's going to do that later. Um, but he's immediately identified. What's interesting is Achish and the Philistines call David the king of the land. They already have a sense of who David is. They have a sense of his popularity. Yes, Saul might be king of Israel, but David is king of the land. Um, this completely freaks David right out. Um, one of the few times it tells you David's emotions. Um, we learned last time that the Bible does not often tell you what David's feeling or thinking. It just tells you what he does. Uh, this is one of the exceptions to that example. David uh, is scared, uh, and David's prepared to do whatever he needs to to survive. And that means, in this case, pretending that he's a, he's a complete lunatic. Um, and it works. Um, the city of Gath is apparently so full of crazy people that they don't have room for any more. And so they kick David out. From there, David uh, uh, goes to Adullam, which is in Judah. Um, on the on it's a border town, um, uh, and he's in, in a cave there. Um, it, now remember that there was that family banquet. Uh, that that was the excuse that he used to um, to leave uh, to not be in Saul's presence. Um, if there really was a family banquet, 
Uh, we're not told if David's not lying through his teeth again, but if there was, um, may, and I, I tend to think David's not lying at that point, um, then David immediately is starting to think of his family. He's concerned with their safety because he knows what Saul's like. So his family, um, somehow his family know where he is and know to come to him. So he's probably, by this time, he's, this lends me to think that he's probably got some people with him, some people who he can send messages and, they, and are free to come and go, but his family know where he is and they come to him. Uh, then David kind of gathers this guerrilla band and we're going to look on our questions, looks at what they are, but he kind of gathers right now 400 by the time uh, David's um, by the, the height of this uh, uh, time in the wilderness, David had will have up to 600 men with him and he begins to train them to fight though not to overthrow Saul. He's not uh, mounting a revolution. Um, then from there, he's uh, the prophet Gad, who just pops up out of nowhere. We know nothing about him before this point. A random prophet shows up and tells David, you're found out, take a hike. God says move. Um, and unlike Saul, God makes sure that David has his word. <laughs> That's an important thing to note. God sends a prophet to him to make sure he's got his word. Okay. Then we move on to the slaughter of, of the, the, the priests at Nob. Saul is informed about David's whereabouts, uh, and he is sure that David is going to is, is mounting some sort of uh, revolution. Uh, text says with spear in hand. That's probably the same spear he tried to kill both David and Jonathan with. Um, in, it also says that um, he calls the people with him men of Benjamin which probably means that he's now limited his inner circle to people from his own tribe. He doesn't trust anybody else in any other tribe. Um, Saul, you can see in this Saul's growing paranoia, his growing uh, pity and, and, self, and fear. Um, he um, charges his own men with conspiracy um, that they're all in league with, with, with David because they failed to tell him that Jonathan has made a covenant with David and that they're helping each other out. Um, um, and he, he, he says that he's bought their, their loyalty. Their loyalty has been purchased with land and, and all these things that Samuel the prophet warned that the king was going to do. Well, Saul's done it. And he says, David can't can't give you the land and these things that I've given you. Um, so for Saul, his kingship is based on uh, loyalty, uh, on personal gain, self-interest, those kinds of things. Uh, he uses the political machinery. Um, that's what he's basing his kingship on. He's not basing his kingship um, on being a representative of God and following God's law. Uh, the knowledge uh, that David inquired of God sends Saul into a, a rage um, because he's been consistently denied access to God's word. Um, so Saul understands this, that this is treasonous. Um, notice that when he, he, he addresses the high priest, he calls him, you son of a high tub, right? Very disrespectful to call the high priestess. Um, uh, thing. Um, 
what's interesting is a high tubs defense is a fourfold exoneration of David. Uh, David is a re reliable. He's the king's son-in-law. He has a military office. He's honored in court. Are these the marks of a traitor? No, they're not. Right? It's very similar to what Jonathan said. Um, but Saul doesn't believe it. He flies into a rage. He tries to get, uh, he sees conspirators on all sides and thinks that um, all of the priests of Nob and the entire city are about to rise up in rebellion against him. So he orders Ahimelech and the priests to be killed, but none of his men, because they don't, they know just how silly and how uh, terrible a thing would be to kill the priests of the Lord. They don't do it. Uh, so Saul gets Doeg, who's an Edomite, not an Israelite. He doesn't care. He does it. Um, and he uh, destroys uh, the 80 some odd priests and then ultimately the, the town with men, women, children, animals, the whole thing. He, they, he raises the whole town to the ground. Abiathar, uh, uh, who is Ahimelech's son, uh, Abiathar is the only survivor. He goes and be, goes to David, and he becomes David's priest. Um, so now you have, by God's providence, however nasty this is, you have the king elect together with the high priest elect together off in the wilderness. So now David's got a prophet, he's got a high priest, and um, Saul has neither. So... Um, a little bit of application, and then we'll open it up for our discussion. You can tell, you can tell a lot about a person where they turn to in a time of trouble. When David first runs from Saul, he went to Samuel. And now that he's officially on the run and he knows it, the first thing he does is he goes to the, to the place of worship. He goes to the sanctuary to inquire of God. Uh, he goes, uh, what the first thing on David's mind in both cases is God. That's, that's really important. I think that's a, a great example. Um, then uh, when he, after he gets the bread of the presence, he also gets Goliath's sword. Uh, this obviously would have reminded him of his past um, trust in the Lord to get the victory, not just his own strength like he did um, in, in the in the past, um, so this reminds David of his own the own need to trust in God when times get difficult and when odds seem impossible. Um, and as you you'll see in the Psalms that we look at, that's exactly um, the Psalms back up that reading of events. Um, chapter twenty one also kind of serves as a bit of a wake up wake up call for us. Um, us Christians believe who live now. Uh, living as a Christian in this fallen world is dangerous. Um, and, and it's not only our own foolish uh, behavior, um, uh, our, our own foolish behavior, our own sin sometimes heightens, um, do, we make things worse. It heightens the, the danger. Uh, our own sin can make matters worse. Uh, but God's mercies to us are new in spite of even our failures. Um, God's purposes can't be frustrated by uh, the ungodly. Um, and that's important to see that. Um, um, 
we have dangers. We have dangers that arise just by the fact that we're Christians, and then our own sin throws us into makes usually makes matters worse for us. But but despite all that, God, um, despite our shortcomings, God's purposes are achieved. God can work through this and use anything uh, to uh, His glory. That's a main theme of of this. Um, and this is something the New Testament teaches us. David, um, well, not some, uh, yeah. Um, also, um, those who honor David uh, in in this story, they they get they suffer with David. They suffer for David in in and they face that retribution. They they face the same rejection that David does, uh, and that's the same true with us. Uh, those who honor Christ, great David's greater son, expect, we can expect the same rejection, the same suffering that Jesus did. Um, and uh, just like Jesus uh, um, uh, made it through uh, difficult times before his, his um, uh, crucifixion, and even after the crucifixion was raised from the dead, we know that no matter what happens to us, God will bring us through, even if we have to suffer death. Um, we have the also we have we also have the example of, of Saul. Um, Saul shows us uh, a warning example. Uh, that's those who embark on conscious, deliberate rejection of God's word um, uh, will have consequences that uh, believers can fall away and they can fall away to such an extent um, that they, they, sin has taken them beyond the point of no return, that their hearts have become so hard um, that they, they do the kinds of things that are here. Uh, and um, of course, uh, if, you re if you repent, God, God will forgive. But Saul seems to be beyond that. And um, that sin has hardened him to such a point that he won't even he won't repent. Uh, that's a warning for us to to when we look at sin in our lives to always repent of it and don't let not let the sin that uh, is in our lives harden us. Abiathar also tells shows us he's the last of those priests. He shows us that God preserves his people. He preserves a remnant. Even though 85 priests died, God left one, uh, one alive to, um, to serve um, David. Um, and so no matter how bad things get, God will always preserve uh, his people. There will always be a remnant, uh, even if it looks like uh, our churches are emptying and, and secularism and, and this is rising. God will always preserve a remnant. All right. So those are some of my thoughts. I'm going to um, unmute everybody here. Uh, now we'll, we'll get into these uh, study questions. So I, I, I hope you found them slightly challenging, slightly um, making they made, they made you slow down and, and reflect and they had enough application trying to find that balance um, um some of these questions don't have right answers but it's the, they're, they're to get you to think and they're to generate discussion okay
question number one. So Saul was condemned for offering sacrifices that only a priest should offer. Why is David not condemned for eating bread that only a priest should eat? We'll start, we'll do take the first part of that question first. What, what do you think is the difference there between Saul? What's the occasion that, that, that I've referenced there with Saul? Saul took matters into his own hands. Sorry, one at a time. Okay. Go ahead, Bob. He was waiting for Samuel, and Samuel was late, so he took it on himself. Took it on himself. How does that differ from what David has done? I thought David was having the Lord sort of consecrate him in a way. Um, yeah, well, you, you're on the right track. You're, you're on the right track. Does So Bob said that, that David, um, Bob said to, um, that, that David, or that Saul went um, he, he took matters into his own hands. That's a good way. That's a good phrase. Is David with the showbread taking matters into his own hands? No, no because no. he spoke to the priest first. And, and who's, and who made the final decision to give him the bread? It was the priest. Priest. Was the priest. And he gave him requirements, right? So this is, so David is listening to the Lord. Right? And Saul isn't. <laughs> Saul could care Saul could care less. Saul puts on a show of religion. Um, David believes in the Lord. So I think that that's that's um, that's important to see. Um, Jesus, what how does Jesus how does what does Jesus say about this um, help us to understand this story a little better? That the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Right. So remember, in Mark 2, uh, 23 to 28, uh, the, the, the site, it's the Sabbath. The disciples are grabbing heads of grain and eating them. And the Pharisees say, you're doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath. And Jesus cites this text. Um, and he says, the Sabbath is not made for man, but man for the Sabbath. What does he mean? How do you know when it's permitted to break one of God's commandments? God gives you permission to. God gives you permission to, yep. Or directs you to. Or directs you to. Um, what it's also, it, also ceremonial law. There's ceremonial law, yep. And the moral law. And the moral law. That's a great distinction. There's there's the ceremonies in the Old Testament, and then there's the moral law. Moral law. Yeah. Um, that's a, a really helpful distinction here. Um, the bread of the presence is that a moral law or a ceremonial law? Ceremonial. Ceremonial. Um, and so Jesus says, 
the Sabbath is not made for man, but man for the Sabbath, or yeah, but man for the Sabbath, right? Um, So the idea here is about um, when there's a conflict between obligations of the moral law and the ceremonial law, which comes out on top? Moral. Moral law. That's exactly right. Absolutely. So what does that mean for us? That means uh, concern for our neighbor's well-being trumps laws about worship. Right? Right? Um, uh, We've modified our worship, haven't we? Because of this pandemic. Why have we done so? Concern for moral, the moral law, concern for our neighbor's well-being. There are some pastors out there who are who are citing uh, the Bible and citing God's word, saying you can't do that. It's got to be done this way, or it's got to be done that way. They're they're, they're like the Pharisees. They're like uh, who are are did God command that only the priests should eat that bread? Absolutely, that's exactly what God commanded, but. Abiathar sees this, um, or is it Ahimelech? Ahimelech. Ahimelech sees this as, well, he needs food. My neighbor needs food, and so he he gives him food. Right? So past, uh, compassionate acts are within the true spirit of the law. Exactly. It's exactly, and that's Jesus' point. And he makes it to the Pharisees all the time. He says, I want mercy and not sacrifice, right? Um, so how, um, and, and that's, you'll notice that when people are legalistic about the rules, concern for your neighbor is always going to take a back seat. Um, and and, and it, it has, uh, in recent discussions about this, coronavirus thing and that's a practical application um and this is a fun one what does this holy bread prefigure what does it point forward to body of christ in in, yes and 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 in two different ways um by receiving the body of christ We receive nourishment for the forgiveness of sins. Am I going in the right direction or not? Yeah, so so a little more general, but yes. So one is Holy Communion, right? Lord's Supper, right? Um, That's um, secondary. Uh, uh, Jesus in John 6 says, I am the... Bread of life. Bread of life. Bread of life, right? So it, the bread of the presence, it's, it's the bread that's in God's presence. Um, it prefigures, um, uh, it, it, it symbolizes the 12 tribes because there's 12 big loaves in the presence. Um, um, and so Jesus is what this points for, towards. And then there's overtones, there's hints of Holy Communion. Um, yes. Okay. Um so that's that's an important question because uh, of the, the of the that note we made about 
our neighbor's well-being is more important than uh, the letter of the law. Um, yeah. Okay. Jesus What's is the word of God incarnate. So we feed on that word. That's right. And that word comes to us. And, and that's the third one. It's the word because the, um, the word is what feeds us um, all the time. Absolutely. Okay. Question two. So in recent chapters, David fled more than once uh, because of Saul's threats. And there's a few examples. Now, in 2110, he flees to Gath. So look back to 1 Samuel 17, and what's the significance of this town? It's Goliath's town. It's Goliath's town. So how desperate is David uh, to go to this town? <laughs> and this is made... This is made worse by the fact that David has, has who's he been fighting on all these military conquests? Philistines. So he's pretty desperate, isn't he? Now, this is a tricky question. What do you make of David's survival tactics? Um, do you think that he's wavering between faith and folly? Do you think all of his like lying to the priest or, or deceiving um, the uh, pretending he was crazy to uh, the king of Gath? Do you think that this is trust in God or is he um, being sinful? Explain why you think so. I think he's using the wits God gave him. Right. You, yeah. Using using the wits God gave him. Hmm. Sometimes we do things we don't even realize God's leading us. Yeah, that that can be true sometimes. Absolutely. George, you had a, were you saying something? Um. No, I'm I'm just trying to think of of different movies <laughs> that you watch on TV and and you uh, you see characters trying to outwit someone and and perhaps it's 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 uh, as they said god's uh, uh, talent that he's given david to to uh, to outwit outsmart uh, yeah the people that he's with i don't know yeah does anybody is anybody going to take up the contrary opinion and say david is david is is wrong and sinful for lying any, anybody here brave enough to take the contrary position and explain why you think so? I think it's a bit of both. A little bit of both. Yeah. I, I like yeah. with you. I thought it was a bit of both too. Yeah. Little... Yeah. Uh, I, I can go with that too. I don't think I can judge David on my own standards. So, uh, yeah. He was in a it's... lot of different positions and. We will ever be in. No, you're right. And notice, does the text pass judgment on David? No. It does not. But it tells us, it's honest about him, right? It depicts him as a, I mean, this isn't the first time David has played loosey-goosey with the truth. Um, and it's not going to be the last time. Um, so I think 
I, I think the, the answer that there's a little bit of both um, is probably true, um, especially in light of what he says in the Psalms. If we didn't have what, if we did not have what he said in the Psalms, I would just straight up say, no, he's, he's um, a reading of this text by itself kind of lends me to think that David is first trying to do things with his own ingenuity. And that's getting him into deeper and deeper trouble. And then by the end of this, he's got God's guidance helping him. And from here on out, you see him a greater reliance on God. And that would be my, that would have been my reading of this initially, and it was until I read the Psalms, and the Psalms changed my opinion of what David's going on. That's why I, I, they're, they're, it's important that we read them here. Uh, but yeah, I think you can use that past. You could use that passage to justify the end, uh, justifies the means. That's right. Yeah. I mean, um, we're, yeah. we're at an advantage no. because we know the outcome of the story. Yeah. We know how David uh, goes in his wild and merry ways, and then he sees his folly and, and he repents. And it, it's, a, it's a back and forth thing with David all the way through. We also know that, that uh, Christ is a descendant of David's line. So um, it's difficult to, to, to judge either way on that. And, and likewise, from this portion of scripture, it leads into chapter 23. And uh, in that chapter, we see David being very compliant and complicit with God. Not very at heart. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's right. Um, but um, but yeah. So it, it seems to me that David is is seeking the Lord. He's praying to God. He's trusting in Him throughout this event. He doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't go to the cave first. He goes to Samuel and he goes to the priest first and he inquires of the Lord. Um, from that. And from the Psalms, it seems to me that he's trusting in God throughout this thing. So um, is he wrong to, to be lying to a high tub at, or not high tub, um, uh, Ahimelech? Absolutely. He's wrong. He shouldn't have lied to him. He should have come up and just tell, told him what's going on straight up. But he's, he's scared, but he's still trusting in the Lord. Um, and um, that's, an important, that's an important point. Um, Oftentimes, God, God still helped him. God still delivers him out of this, right? That's an important point for us. Um, God helps us, and he, he guides us, and he blesses us in ways we don't always see um, because we trust in him, and we're in, we're in a loving relationship with him, even though we sin. Right. David's got he, he's in the relationship with God. He's, he's praying to him. He's calling on him. He, when his word comes, he listens to it. Um, uh, and, and when he makes a mistake, um, God doesn't um, throw him into, into bad situations because he's made a mistake. And when he's confronted with his sin, we know he repents because he does so later. Great. Um, all right, moving on to, to question three then. Um, Psalm 56 is written by David and is captured to Gath. And Psalm 34 um, is written when he was uh, feigned insanity and escaped. Um, 
How do these Psalms help us understand the scene in Gath? What insights do you gain as you look at David's life um, and the way God dealt with David? Were you surprised at the, at the content of these Psalms when you read them? If you read them? <laughs> I don't remember being surprised. <laughs> it's, it, it's interesting. Well, like when we, when we use the Psalms at church, the, those, sub, those subheadings are not there, aren't they? And they kind of, those some they sometimes tell you how to understand the psalm, especially if you know the stories. In this case, um, so in in fifty six, um, it says uh, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. What that tells you a detail that wasn't in the story. What detail is that? Just a small one. That he was captured in Gath. That he was captured in Gath, absolutely. Um, so it's not like they saw him and then he pretended to be crazy and they went away. No, no, they, they captured him. Um, um, and in this, so so as you look at this psalm, um, what's David's attitude during this during this event? He's praying. <laughs> he, he, he's praying. Absolutely. Um, verses eight, verse eight tells us his emotional state. How, how's David taking these events? He's tears, tears, can't sleep. Right. I mean, this is weighing on him uh, deeply. Um, but what in verse nine he, he knows that God is for him, uh, and he and he puts his uh, in God I trust I am not afraid. What can men do to me? Right? Uh, we know that verse, but we might not have known that it's said in this on the occasion of this story when you know David's pretending to be crazy. Um, um, so that's that's an example here. Um, of, of these things so so based on stuff like this and the other psalm um what insights did, did you what what look at the way did god dealt with david and and what um how does how does that help you um when you in, in understand better your relationship with god by looking at this this particular story to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. That's right. Um, yeah, no matter how bad things are, we should still trust in God and we should still be able to talk to him. Absolutely. And, and we shouldn't look at, um, we shouldn't look at um, unfortunate events as um, a sign of God's displeasure or the God's out to get us, right? Mm hmm we know uh, that the Lord listens to us and he's there with us through all the troubles and challenges and trials and he'll deliver us to the other side in some way or sense and, and that's where your trust comes in. 
yeah, then that's that that's that's a big part here, and, and um, yeah, and it, and it it can be comforting to know uh, that David, you know, it, David did wasn't given to despair. When people have hard times or they have a hard life, a lot of times um, they're you know they they quit church how many people have you know do you know of who've quit church not because uh of uh they don't necessarily believe it but because they were hurt or they had some a series of uh very bad or unfortunate events happen in their life and they just they just want nothing to do with this anymore um david had you know david's on the run for his life he's like robin hood here you know he, he's he's on the run he's he, and he still finds time to praise yeah. god and yeah. trust in him and and i think that's very um oh why is ron still muted um the, um there he must have clicked it at something there we go all right sorry um great um any more thoughts on on this these two psalms and, and how they relate to you i think it's good to see that no matter where we find ourselves and david was um pretty broken in, in this area and he was um it says in verse 18 uh, he was brokenhearted, and uh, this is the NLT, he, the, but the Lord rescues those whose spirits are crushed. So he wasn't in a very good state, yet you see throughout this whole chapter, it constantly talks about the fear of God and how if we, um, if we still trust in God, uh, even if we're crushed and we're brokenhearted, he'll, he's going to come to a rescue, and we can have that trust in him whether we feel it or not at times, but we can, we can trust in him that he will come to a rescue and he will um, be our refuge and not allow us to be destroyed. So. Yeah. That, that, very good thoughts. Absolutely. I like the yeah. phrase uh, you've kept track of my tossings. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Even yeah. so thrashing around. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's kept track of them and, and the, 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 yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, for me, it was God heard his prayer. Um, God didn't send miracles, right? He didn't send the heavenly host to, to get him out of a jam. And yet he still somehow got him through. <laughs> um, so um, when we ask for God's help, uh, I'm reminded of that story of, of the guy who's on the house uh, and the floods come up and, his house, they, they, and, and he says, God, I, I want you to save me. And um, a guy comes by in a boat and he says, I, I'm here to save you. And he's like, no, no, I, I prayed to God. God will get me out. Right. And, and, and a, a guy comes uh, on a plane, and a helicopter, and it comes down. I'm, I'm here to save you. And it's no, no, God's going to get me out. And then ultimately he dies in the water and he goes to God and he says, God, why didn't you save me? I prayed to you. And he says, I sent you a boat and a helicopter. Um, <laughs> so a silly joke, but that's that, that God 
uses means. He, he doesn't always directly interfere. He can work through, through situations and people and different events to bring us through. And we might not even know it was God until you look back and you're like, oh, wow, that, that must have been God. All right. I find, I find sometimes when um, things are really bad or in a stressful situation, myself, I kind of forget about God for a minute or two, <laughs> you know, you think yeah. you solve it yourself or whatever, and then you realize you can't. Bob and I were in a, in a earthquake one time, and uh, it was pretty scary, and I was... I think I forgot all about God because I was so afraid. But then when you calm down a bit and pray and whatnot, and of course we were, wasn't anything to be worried about, I guess, but I had never been in an earthquake before, so it was very scary. <laughs> Bob was sleeping, naturally. I sat up all night. <laughs> Um, okay, so moving on to question four, David, um, David flees again from here and he goes to the cave. Uh, Psalm 142 is interesting because it shows how desperate and how alone he feels, uh, but he's soon joined by his family. What do you make of that? What significance do you see in the fact that David and what he does with it? He takes... He's joined by his family, and then he makes sure his parents are safe. He sends his parents off to Moab. Why Moab? Do you guys, do you, do you guys, Moab or that's, that's where his grandmother was from. Right. Great grandmother. Great grandmother. That's great right. grandmother. Right. Great one of us brothers. <laughs> family ties. Absolutely. That's what my yeah. footnotes say. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Your footnotes are helpful. Um, so, what does that tell you? What, what significance do you see in this? David's a caring person. He's not looking out for himself, but he's looking out for others and wanting to help others and putting others ahead of self. Bingo. That's right. Um, a, a valuable lesson about taking care of our own parents, right? Um, uh, we, I think most of us have parents still. Most of us here. No. 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 Two, three no's. <laughs> No. I know. I, I know no, the McEwen yeah. still have parents, and um, yeah. she faithfully comes to. Yeah, that's right. Um, but some of, some of us still have parents. Um, some of us, some of you are parents, so you're 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 going to Moab. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, there's a, there's a good um, lesson about taking care of others and putting others' needs ahead of ourselves. Um, that's that's a good. Um, um, and, and, he, and also the other thing is he takes, it shows that David takes responsibility for his own action, right? It's his, it, it's, it's, you know, he's the reason why his parents have to be afraid. And so he takes responsibility for it and cares for them, right? Yeah. Um, but the, the point of that question is just to, see, to get you to see that David takes care of others ahead of himself, which is a big um, lesson that we need to try and put into place. Um, all right, question five. 
um, is along the same lines. Um, uh, those people, who, who are those people that David gathers around himself? How are they described? The distress and debt, bitter in soul. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Um, how does that, um, you know, wh now why do, why do you, why do they join David? That's the question. Why do they join David? Loyalty. He's Loyalty? Family. He gives them hope. He gives them hope. There, um, because who, who are they, who are they in distress and discontent and in debt to? Saul. Saul. They're upset with, with Saul. Or they're on the outs with Saul. And so they come to David. Um, and, um, okay, so from this, I think there's a good uh, a contrast between the, the leadership styles of Saul and David. What do you think? Um, what do you think that is? Saul lorded it over the people and David yeah. sympathized with the people. That, that's, that's right. Uh, and, and, you know, those of us who are in leadership positions, both out, out in, in, in life and, and also in the church, uh, uh, that's a good example for us uh, to be with people. And I'll come, we'll come back to this thought uh, at the end. Um, but, and then there's a, a question that's kind of, we don't have to discuss it, but it, 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 it's a question to get you to think what ways um based on these last two questions what ways david finds time to help others even when he's you know i, I can't help you right now I, i've got enough going on i'm on the run no, no, that's that's not how david reacts david puts the needs of others ahead of himself um even when he's you know probably severely depressed <laughs> you know not in the best emotional state uh in constant fear of his life running but he puts, he still has time to put the needs of others ahead of him. Um, in what way can you emulate that, uh, that attitude today? What, in what way can you assist the needs of others, the others who come by your circle? And, and I can't answer that, uh, but that's a question to get you to think. Uh, um, yeah. Here's the words of Jesus when he uh, speaks in his many parables, go and do likewise. Mm -hmm. Go and do likewise. Okay, the next question is about that horrific uh, scene there with the execution of the priests of Nob. Um, this question, though, it, it, it's a lot of setup, but it's really asking you to do one thing. Let's compare and contrast David and Saul here um, in this chapter. What are, what are the contrasts that do, do you see? Saul is a destroyer and David is a protector. That's yeah, that's right. David protects things. Uh, Saul destroys them. Saul surrounded himself with people who could help him. David surrounded himself with people he could help. <laughs> that's a good, that point. Is a <laughs> good point. That's a good point. What other ones do you have? Well, David's trust was in God. Saul's right, and, and Saul's, Saul's isn't, that's Are right. Yeah. Uh, uh, David pretends to be crazy, and Saul is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
David repents, Saul doesn't. That's right. David inquires of the Lord through prophets and priests. Saul trusts in human power and politics. Um, David keeps Abiathar safe and Saul kills priests. David, David has a loyal following and Saul does not. <laughs> That's right. Um, Saul has a scared following. Um, David is concerned about others. Saul is concerned about himself. 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 Um, Let's see. David is king of the land, and Saul is king of Israel. (laughs) Interesting contrast there. Anyway, it's it's neat, um, and. If you understand why this book is being written, uh, the writer is setting is is setting up this contrast. This is why David was a better choice than Saul as king. Okay, um, question seven: um, Why does Saul kill the priests? Why does he destroy the city? Simple, simple, simple answer. He feels like he's losing control and he's jealous. He's jealous, yeah. Oh, way what, of taking control. And, and what does he charge them with? Reason. They help David instead of they him. Help. Right. He thinks the whole, they're all in league with David. And so he thinks it's just a big conspiracy. These cities and these priests are all rising up. They're all going to join David. So you got to wipe them out. <laughs> um, so based on those two passages... Deuteronomy 17, which no. lists um, the, the requirements for a king, and Deuteronomy 19, which lists the requirement to have two witnesses. How would you critique Saul's actions? Well, the judges and priests should have supremacy, and Saul put, places himself above them. That's, that's exactly right. That's the point on the Deuteronomy 17 passage. Um, this is not... God does not intend an absolute monarchy, right? This, this, there, there's, a, there's a limit to the, the king's power. The king is under the authority of God and, and his law, right? That's, that's, the, um, that's, that's how God intended it to be. But Saul wants an absolute monarchy with him at the head, and he calls the shots. Absolutely. What about the two witnesses rule? Don't, how does that critique Saul? I found I thought of two different ways it, it critiques him. Well, he leaves no witnesses. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Certainly true. He doesn't leave any witnesses. D- does he have two witnesses of the priest's conspiracy? The one, wasn't it? He just has Doeg, yeah. just just one guy. And then on, on, on the opposite end of that, he's that this is the second time. That somebody in somebody has declared David's innocence. First, Jonathan did last chapter, uh, and now 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 the high priest does. Um, so, uh, in, in both ways, that that two witnesses passage comes to critique um, critique Saul. Um, how, did, about, how did Doeg kill eighty five people? I don't know he had he must he must be a mercenary <laughs> yes uh, i think he's a mercenary in charge of 
uh, in charge of an army. And so that, that's gotta okay. be how we did it. Yeah. I, I, I don't see another way around that. Um, okay. This is interesting. Um, in first Samuel two, 31 through 36, what does that tell us about the death of these priests? First Samuel two, 31 through 36. There was a prophecy of judgment against the house of Eli that was right. fulfilled with the destruction of the Adam. Yep, there was. Um, absolutely. Um, what comfort does that give you? Think, okay, think about this for a second. God, through Samuel, the prophet, when Samuel was a boy, told Eli, his, because of the sin of Hophni and Phinehas, his whole line of priests was going to be wiped out. And here we have this, you read this text, our story today, and, and it's this massacre. And obviously Saul is, is heinous for doing it, but it was God's judgment on Eli and his whole house. So what comfort uh, can that give you? The prophecy of the Savior is fulfilled. Right, right. Prophecy of the Savior is is being fulfilled. Um, um, but in, in general, God keeps his promises, right? Uh, God keeps his promises. He, he works through his word. He, he works. He, what he promises comes to be, right? That's a big theme here. Um, but the other theme is not only does God's word come to be, what can God use to fulfill his word? Evil. Evil. Anything. God can, right? Um, that famous line from um, Joseph to his brothers, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good, right? Or in Romans chapter 8, all things work together for the good for those who love God and are called to his purposes, right? Um, God can take evil and use it to serve his ends. And that doesn't mean he condones evil, right? Uh, but God can use it to his advantage. Um, that can provide comfort for us when, when we go through evil things, when evil things happen to us. Um, we can trust that God, God will use it some way that we might not right now understand. We might not even understand it in this life, but uh, God has some purpose. He's working out with it, and we have to trust that whatever God's doing with that evil thing that's happened to us or to our friend or whatever, um, that um, God's going to work out that purpose. And I think that's kind of comforting. Um, okay. Uh, question eight. Um, so this is um, another one of these Psalm questions. Um, what does Psalm 52 tell you about David's um, spiritual condition? Psalm 52.
David trusted that God would be the one to punish Saul. David. Yep. Not well, not, not, not Saul. Um, look at the superscription. Who, who is cited in the superscription? Doeg. Doeg. Oh, yeah. The, 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 the little Edomite who ratted on him and got all those people killed. So David um, trusts God to deal with him, right? Um, the, the psalm reflects on David's, uh, Doeg's hatred, and God places his tr trust in God to deal with Doeg. Um, and it, in that one verse, um, at the end, he, it, he says his spiritual condition. Uh, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. Um, so he, he's saying he's vulnerable, but he's trusting in God, right? That's, he, he's, he's in a position of disadvantage, but he, he's trusting in God to get him through. There seems to be a theme in this in this chapter. You trust in God, um, come hell or high water, as the as the as the <laughs> phrase goes, right? Um, all right. Um, all right. The next question, question nine, is about the contrast between what Saul did in chapter fifteen to Amalek and to what he did here to Nob. What's what's the contrast? What is what? What did Saul do in chapter 15 or didn't do? Um, what, what's the point there? Well, Saul spares the king. He doesn't follow the what yep. the Lord has told him to do. That's right. He, 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 he spares the king. He spares the best sheep. He doesn't put the city under the ban, right? The, absolutely hilarious when Samuel comes along what is that bleeding I hear that I, I, I cracks me up every time <laughs> yes, what is what is that bleeding I hear? Yeah. exactly um, humor in the bible so, so Samuel first Samuel Saul he does not put to the ban put under utter destruction as sometimes it's translated the enemies of God the Amalekites but what does he do to his own people He blames them. He, he does these. He does what he should have done to the Amalekites. He does to his own people. He wipes them out, man, woman, and child, all of them, right? He should have done that to the Amalekites. Instead, now he's doing it on fellow Israelites. Um, that's that's an interesting contrast um, because Saul is in both stories shows that he's worried about his status and his popularity. He's concerned about his position as king, um, and he's worried about the outward display and the way things look. Um, so those are Saul's priorities. His priorities are, are himself, his position, his kingdom, and he will hold to it by military force. He does not trust in God. Um, that's, that should be clear. Okay. The next question, question 10, tries to get to the gospel application of this um we've had a lot of law a lot of love your neighbor uh trust we've had a lot of trust in god but there's a specific way that i i've applied this year to um to the gospel in chapter 10 um and it goes kind of reflects on chat on, on uh 
question five. So David is a king who welcomes the lowly and the needy. Uh, people find refuge in David with him. What does that tell you about Jesus? Jesus is a king who takes in the needy and the lowly and, you know, it's, it's just a parallel comparison between the two. Yeah, and yeah. Jesus um, welcomes the needy, the lowly, uh, right? The texts I've cited, tax collectors, sinners, the least, the lost, the lowly, the no good, the two-bit hookers, right? The cheats, the oppressed, the victims. Those are the people that Jesus welcomes, uh, even people like us. Um, that's, that was a, that's the... Um, um that that's the gospel here like that if you want to see yourself in this story you, you're the person who comes to jesus you're the person who comes uh to david you're not david in this story that david is jesus i never when you when you go through a story like this you're not david david is jesus so david and goliath an improper application of that is to put yourself in david's shoes you're the army too afraid to fight jesus has to come and beat the giant for you <laughs> same here um you're to, to see ourselves in this story we need to see ourselves as those people who have who are, who are hurting who are uh in distress and discontent and, and in debt um oppressed by satan and, and and the world and we find our refuge in the wilderness at the church <laughs> with jesus um uh and what's interesting is that last line in chapter 22, what David says to Ab uh, 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 Abiathar, um, stay with me and do not be afraid. For the one who seeks my life seeks your life. You will be safe with me. Well, if the one who seeks your life seeks, the one who seeks my life seeks your life, why am I safe with you? <laughs> right? Um, but David um, trusts in the Lord. Um, um, and the one who seeks our life, the, the world, the flesh, and the devil, it sought Jesus's life. And it got him. And it couldn't hold him. <laughs> and, that, um, uh, and we are safe with him. Uh, great David's greater son. And I think that's the, the gospel lesson in this passage, along with um, the, the redundant theme of trust in God, no matter what happens, and he'll get you through. Okay, and these next two questions, I'm gonna put on all our study questions. Um, the, so if you could just pick one verse or one passage that you think summarizes these two, which would you pick? The one you just quoted, verse 23. Yeah, that's, that's a good one, that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's, I like it. That's what, not what I put down originally, but I like it. Yours is, your answer is better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> Any other, did you put down anything else? There's no right or wrong. It's just what you, what you thought. I put verse two, all those who were in distress or debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their leader. Yeah, 
I like it. Yeah, that's good too. Um, because it reminds me of Jesus being our leader. <laughs> yep, that's right. Absolutely. And, and uh, were there any lingering questions in this chapter that you had for any any questions for me? Any questions in the chapter that that you had? I just had the one about, and I think we've answered this before, how Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, you're kind of taken aback when you hear that. He was filled. What, well, what happened to it? Uh, yeah. I, I guess it was he drove it out of himself. He drove it out. That's exactly right. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's right. Um, through willful, persistent, rebellious sin. Um, yeah. And it's a, that's a warning to, to us. Absolutely. Okay. Well, let's, um, I'll, I'll conclude with the prayer that I uh, put on the top of the page. Um, and then afterwards, I, I'd like your feedback on, on the questions and if they were too hard or if you enjoyed this, uh, I can't, I can, I can only make it better if I get your feedback. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you entered this sinful world to defeat sin and evil and to set us free from the chains of sin and the condemnation of your law. Gather us to you, redeemed and forgiven, that we may share in your victory and rejoice to be your people. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to The Church Door. Thanks again for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, you can reach me, Pastor Matthew Fenn, at revfenn, R-E-V-F-E-N-N, at iCloud.com. Look forward to having you with us again next time.